your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. There we go. Hey, Rick, turn the turn the board on. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. People are hovering outside, and I got headphones on, so I can't hear. I'm Rick Solom. Welcome. That was good. Sorry. It was a rough start to the show. That like, was a good. We that, get a mulligan now. Now nah, mulligan here. We're going to start the show again. I'm Rick Solom, <laughs> UW Cross Political Science <laughs> Professor Dr. Anthony Tchaikovsky is on with me, and uh, we were just we were just ranting about your wife, who's 27 weeks pregnant. Correct. And she's yelling at me on Facebook Messenger to bring back Facebook Live. And I'm saying it's coming. It's coming down the road at some point. If we're, we're just getting... if we're just on the air on a Friday, if we can just get ourselves turned on yeah. the airwaves, let's count that as a win. Yeah, they're probably thinking, man, we're we're gonna try to get him on different avenues of media, and he can't even turn the board on <laughs> in the ra- on the radio. Let's just start with let's start with the basics here. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyone who wants to get in here, you got political questions. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chergoski can answer them. If you have not political questions, we can pretend that we know because we pretend to be experts on everything on a Friday uh, or every day. I don't know. I don't know how you do during a week, but on a Friday, we like to pretend. Um, I'm just going to go to the bottom of this thing, I think. Uh, The best story that we have on this list is we have Foxconn news today, right? Foxconn, it's back. Well, not really. The but. the biggest handout to a foreign company in the history of the United States, the biggest taxpayer handout to a foreign company, if they end up taking all the tax money that they were awarded by Governor Scott Walker and Donald Trump, who called Foxconn's deal the what what wonder the of the eighth wonder of the eighth world. wonder. I thought that was Andre the Giant, the member of the re- <laughs> the wrestler. He was supposed to be the eighth wonder of the world. But uh, so it's it's great. We have Fox. So Foxconn's starting to ramp up jobs and high production. Tech, high tech coming to Wisconsin. All right. What's happening? Can you tell well, us? Well, well, not exactly. It's a food coloring company that is moving into the space that was once leased by Foxconn in Mount Pleasant. Okay. Mount Pleasant is where the big, like, 440 football field factory yep, is supposed where, to go. That's where the big Foxconn thing is. I don't even know what you call the Foxconn property. It's like a giant property, but there's nothing in it. And we don't know what it does or what it was supposed to do. So let's just call it the Foxconn thing in Fox Mount Pleasant. Con, con. Yeah. Um, well, this is perfect. The food coloring company, we're, we're, aren't we a month away from Easter? Is oh, it Easter yeah. next month? Brilliant. The they only can... time you ever really actually need food coloring is we're, we're right here. If we can get this up and running, running, get this ramped up production, how many jobs is it going to produce? 100 jobs. 100 jobs for food coloring? Yeah. All right. There we go. Let's get it going in time for Easter. But is it going to be called Foxconn I hope coloring? If it's high-tech food coloring, then they should still call it, it Foxconn. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Foxconn food coloring. Foxconn food coloring. Let's, let's rebrand this whole thing so we can get rid of the bad reputation that the previous version of Foxconn has. Yeah, we, we don't want to be making uh, s- cell phone screens for Apple or big screen TVs. I mean, that's old school. That's, you know, something of the past. Food coloring, Easter eggs, that's where it's at. You, you, you'll never go wrong because this this TV craze, this cell phone craze, this will go away eventually. 
And this food coloring thing where you're coloring eggs is here to stay. Food coloring is timeless. I mean, Rick. we've been doing this since Jesus' death, right? When he, when he, <laughs> we've been coloring the eggs. I mean, that's what Easter is all about. I, I think that's, you know, is that in the Bible? Is or? that too soon? Or? I, I, <laughs> Only been... 2022 years is it do we do it right on, no that was his birth i don't know i don't know the i don't know the exact day of the crucifixion 608-785-7914 someone wants to to let me know um all right so we yeah, do well, have when did when did the food dye thing for easter start right well we have we have some weird we have some weird holidays i mean we have christmas but we we put lights outside and bring it tree from outside inside and so we put the lights outside but we bring the tree inside i don't know what what okay um and we could go on but i think everyone knows the ridiculousness there um all right so there's there's some there's some friday news dumps we could probably have a wisdom friday news dump at this point too as well yeah we do um and it has to do again i think this is you know week three or four of uh cosplay electors republican electors in wisconsin Making the news again today, the in in Wisdom a little bit too. A part of this news, the the fact check podcast that Bill Fian does is is kind of it's hit the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel now. Yeah, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel figured out that a year ago, Bill Fian, the Lacrosse County Demo- uh, Republican Party chair, had a podcast where he described what happened with the casting of the electoral votes. Well, not the actual electoral votes, but the ones that the Republicans were casting in favor of Donald Trump, even though that wasn't the actual electoral votes. And he did that uh, literally seven days after the January 6th Capitol insurrection. That's when that happened. That's when that podcast came out. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny how just now the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel caught on to the fact that there was a podcast that Bill did about that very topic. And... You know, basically talking about what he said that. Uh, well, it was a play-by-play a little bit, but it, it we'll we'll, we'll get into it in a minute here. Yeah. Uh, well, number three was calling, but um, I don't want to. I don't want to deep dive into it two seconds before we got to get to Brad in the news. What are you know a couple other things we like to do? Uh, I like to pick on CEOs a couple times a week. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg only lost twenty nine billion dollars today. He lost twenty nine billion dollars with the stock hit that Facebook slash meta slash whatever the heck they're talking they're calling it these days it took a thumping in the stock market this week that company so it just so what happens is they they get some bad quarterly news and then the stock just so this is the time to buy facebook stock essentially it it could be rick what happened was there was unfortunate news for facebook basically they are not adding users anymore the number of users that Facebook has is not growing. It is actually declining a bit. And that caused investors to get really freaked out about the future of the company. Like, if this company isn't growing, if this company isn't really finding ways to make new money, if their whole big plan is that we put on those weird headsets and live in the metaverse, there's a lot of skepticism on Wall Street about that as a as a revenue source, there's a lot of skepticism about if the metaverse will be like the next big thing. Plus, you have some real unfortunate for Facebook and its business, unfortunate trends in usage that 
young people are not using Facebook, and the overall number of users is simply declining. Yeah, for the first time ever, users went down. I don't even know how that works. It must have been that users... What are people deleting their profiles, or are we not just signing up at the rate that we were signing up the month before? It's both. It's the number of signups, and it's the rate of usage. People okay. are not signing up to yeah. use the the service, and people who have accounts are using it less or not at all. That makes sense. All right, six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Number three, you, you called. I was going to get you on, but we'll, we'll if you want to call back. Um, and then we got to we got to pair that news with Jeff Bezos news. Uh, now now in, he in made a, twenty billion though, yeah, so checkmate Zuckerberg. And and the idea that uh, people get mad when we go after giant corporations and CEOs and and these guys are you know raking in billions in a day or losing billions in a day it, may, it matters nothing to them. Like man, man whatever. Uh, all right, Brad's got to do the news. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line if you want to get in here. 608-785-7914. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is in here. We we do have show notes, but then in, in the break we add stuff to the to yeah, the mix. We, we prepare for the show during the show. Yeah, that was, that's kind of <laughs> you know, the, the next step is to prepare for the show not not during the break, but literally as the show is happening. Yeah. If we had a two-hour show, we would do that. Let, we would spend the first hour prepping. So should we hash out the next segment right now? Yeah, that's what we should do. <laughs> no, but I, uh, you know, a couple of things, and we, 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 you know, I like to open the show with the rundo, but we we got caught up in in Facebook and Zuckerberg, but we missed out on this too. I'm not going to run it down yet. Uh, Zuckerberg loses 29 billion in a day. Yep. Jeff Bezos gains 20 billion in a day. Right. Uh, did they just hand? Does the money just get handed over from one, you know, one of the top ten richest guys ever to the other? It would hear? be super funny if that how it worked. Like, what a hit! What a hit to Zuckerberg's ego if he had to give twenty billion dollars to Jeff Bezos yesterday. They just make it a billionaire game show. That's all we're doing. It's like, hey, <laughs> yeah. which billionaire made more billions today? Yeah. Zuckerberg, you lose. Yeah. And it's just the every day, and everyone watches it. It's It turns into like an Arnold Schwarzenegger futuristic. I don't know if you ever watch any of those movies where uh, they, they're, the, the billionaires are running society and doing it through a game show, and literally lives are on the line on whether or not they can win the money. I don't know. I'm going dystopian uh, future here. But Bezos wins Wins the day, but also Bezos is trying to get his super yacht through a bridge in Denmark, I believe it is. I think it's Denmark. This, like, historical bridge, this bridge here, I'm looking at a picture of it. Yep. Um, that's, like, oh, Dutch. Dutch, Denmark, same thing, right? Um, that that survived, like, World War II bombings and has stood the test of time, and now Bezos wants to drive his super yacht through it. It's too big, so, hey, can, Hey, can you guys take the bridge down so I can drive my super yacht through here? It survived World War II, but can it survive Jeff Bezos' yacht? And I believe the the last thing that I read about it was the leader of whatever, you know, the, the, the bridge czar there said, um, actually, we're not going to do that, but if you want to pay to take down the bridge. So, but of course Jeff Bezos is going to pay to take down the bridge because he has an unlimited amount of money. It doesn't matter to him. Hey, he got the 28 bill yesterday. Oh, 20 billion, right? Was it... Because Zuck okay. lost twenty eight or twenty nine bill. Yeah, a billion here, a billion there. Yeah, right. What's ten billion <laughs> when you're talking uh, like twenty and thirty billion? It's all the same money. It is kind of funny how we how we do estimate because another part of the part of that Facebook thing was Facebook has one point nine billion users. 
It's like 1.912 billion users. And it's like, you know, like, ah, just, just, just say 2 billion. What's a couple hundred billion? You know, like the, the, the fact that we decimal point out these numbers larger and larger because uh, Joe Biden's $2.1 trillion infrastructure bill, right? 0.1 trillion. What's 0.1 in a, in, a, in a trillion? You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Like <laughs> at some point who it's not even real money. At what point do we go? At, what comes after <laughs> trillion? What comes after trillion? Uh, that Kazillion? Yeah, me. I mean, we might, given the increase in the national debt, we might find out eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, by the end of Biden's term, we will for <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So what? Um, let's let's just reel it in a little bit. There's some you know state news, some local news I want to get into. Governor Evo, Governor Evers, and if you looked at WisdomNews.com today, you will see a very serious article that I wrote about the. Uh, legislation, this historic legislation that passed the assembly after an amendment, and then that passed the Senate. They took out the amendment, and then governor governor is vetoing bills today. I don't, I didn't see if he vetoed my bill that I wrote about today to allow dogs in stores. I didn't see that, but he did veto a bill passed by the Republicans that would have prohibited Wisconsin public schools from teaching students and training employees about concepts such as systemic racism and implicit bias. That is the critical race theory bill. Oh, man. We're not going to be able to teach. Wait, well, we can. now, now we can you still. can. You can still learn. It's on. Yeah. It's on. And then um, he did. He vetoed another bill, too, right, to allow, like, 11-year-olds to work into to midnight? Yeah. It was a bill aimed at easing the worker shortage. It was a bill that would have allowed young people to work extra hours than normal during the summer months. During, during non-school days. Non-school days to ease the pressure on employers in the summer, to have more jobs in the tourism industry in the summer. Evers did veto that. My take has been that that bill you have good arguments for and against that bill. It would not have, I don't think, made a major difference in the workforce shortage. The workforce shortage is a lot more serious than that particular bill would have been able to address. So I think there's good arguments for and against that bill. He ultimately vetoed it. So two vetoes today from Governor Evers, vetoing the ban on critical race theory and then vetoing the lifting of restrictions on younger people working extra hours in the summer and uh, during non-school periods. I had a really good conversation myself and William Garcia. We haven't released this podcast yet, and it probably won't come out till, for a week, but uh, with one of the Senate candidates trying to explain workforce shortage, uh, inflation, and he kind of tied it all, and I was like, wow, that's uh, something nobody is <laughs> really talking about. Because when you want to you cry about inflation, you just point. I mean, I tried to have this conversation Monday with um, Dale. Dale? What's his UWL, uh, Adam Hoffer. Adam Hoffer. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I said Dale. That's the other guy, the other political that's, science. That's my that's my man, Tim that's, Dale yeah, from Tim Political Dale. Science. Um, I'm getting them all mixed up, but uh, you know, I tried to have this conversation about inflation, but some of this was uh, just the the idea that we all are are buying stuff instead of going places now, which is which is making people have to build more stuff, and then that stuff has to get shipped out. And therefore, you need more truckers, more shipments, more workers on the docks. And it's just like this this expanded amount of consumerism that we're not ready for. And that's kind of contributing to all this mess. A lot of people, when the pandemic got underway and the economy crashed, a lot of people were hoping for a V-shaped recovery 
where the economy would tank for a while during the most serious parts of the pandemic, and then the economy would come roaring back, and we would have a V-shaped recovery, a quick dip, and a massive rebound. And Rick, I think we're seeing the strain that a V-shaped recovery, because I do think we did not ex- we did not exactly get a V-shaped recovery, but we got fairly close to having a v-shaped recovery a rapid recovery from a major crash and that's put enormous stress on supplies it's put enormous stress on supply chains transportation what have you this is a once in a century type weird situation and we're seeing how a lot of our systems in the economy, the supply chains, the manufacturers are having a really hard time dealing with these extraordinarily unique circumstances. If you were at home right now and doing this on the phone, because we've we've had to do that a couple of times, you would be just pacing back and forth <laughs> right now, right? It drives my wife crazy. Yeah. <laughs> she sent that. Uh, Brianna sent out a video, uh, Anthony's wife, of him at home doing this show once. And he's just he's back and forth all over the apartment. And as you're in here, nobody can see this on video, but you're very handsy with your talking. <laughs> and uh, it, just re- it just reminded me. Adam Murphy is the Senate candidate that I talked to, and uh, it's going to be a really interesting podcast. And then I'm just going to use him on the show periodically because he's, he's pretty smart. It was a pretty interesting conversation. Um, quite a bit more interesting than the conversation I had with Alex Lazar. <laughs> yeah, he, he was in town the other day, the Milwaukee Bucks guy, right? Yeah, Milwaukee Bucks Senior Vice President of Operations, which is always funny because your dad owns the team, and then therefore you get to be the Senior Vice President. Well, he's put an enormous amount of his own money or his family's money. I don't know whose money, but yeah. he's put an enormous amount of his own money into the race. You've seen the same from Sarah Godlewski when we look at the Democratic candidates in the field for Senate. U.S. Senate. Mandela Barnes is raising a lot of money from small dollar donations. Well, here's the thing. Like, you pretend you're Lazary. You're you're the billionaire's yep. son. Oh, I would love to right? pretend that I'm him. <laughs> right. And I'm having this conversation across from you. And he's talking about how he doesn't take super PAC money. Is that what it's called? Super Because yep. Mandela is the other candidate that's not taking super PAC money. Okay. And he's like, he's he's doing that. And this this comes a day after he news has come out that he put a million and a half dollars of his own money into his own campaign. And I just wanted to go, well, you're not taking super PAC money, but you are just funding your own campaign because small do- you know small donors aren't donating. I wanted to say that to him, but then I feel like that would be very uh, a very awkward thing to say. Well, if at a drop of a hat you can put a million bucks of your own fortune into the campaign. Million and a half. Million and a half. You don't need super PACs. Like you don't right. need any help really. Yeah, when your dad's a billionaire and they own the Milwaukee Bucks and hit the lotto and owning the Milwaukee Bucks cuz then two three years later they win a championship. And 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 Rick I've been watching his ads because he's really the only Democratic candidate for Senate who's advertising right now. I think a lot of Democrats what what I what I'm hearing is that Democrats nationwide are looking at his ads and thinking that they're pretty solid. How he's talking about well the way to ease supply chain pressures, the way to ease inflation is to make more in the United States. And it I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's feasible or not. I'm not an economist. But what I do know is that it's a potentially politically strong argument because people love the idea of making more things in the United States. Heck, that was a big thing that Donald Trump ran on. Well, we like need America to make more, first, right? America is that kind first, of the way make that... more things in the United States. That's a winning message for p- people of all political parties. Yeah, everybody can say that. Yeah, Mayor, uh, 
yeah, we should stop buying stuff that's made in China. I mean, my dad's been saying that since I was five years exactly. old. Exactly. Where do those tools come from? China, don't buy them. All right, we got to take a break. Brad's doing the news. Scott's comment coming up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914. Get out of here, Pearl Jam. I, sorry, I didn't third aid blind for you today yet. We got a, we got another segment. That's UW Lacrosse. That isn't. That was Pearl Jam. UW Lacrosse political <laughs> science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is in here with me. Can your dad wail some Pearl Jam on, uh, I can't remember what instrument he plays. Uh, my dad is not nearly current enough in music to do Pearl Jam. He does maybe 50s and 60s. So let's just say that his audience is... What would uh, be his go-to, you think? Oh, uh, like... The monkeys or the Beach Boys. Oh yeah, that would be great. I would be. We should get a. We should get him to record some some bumper music for us. Yeah, some, that'd be fun. Some comeback. Your dad playing. Sure. Hey, hey, where the. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> what instrument is it though? It's not like a piano. Oh, he plays the keyboard. Oh, it is the keyboard. Okay, so I thought I, I thought it was gonna be like the oboe. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you play the oboe? I feel like you play. And why would a monkeys or Beach Boys cover have the oboe? That would be. That's what I'm saying. That would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know what an oboe sounds like. It's been a while since I oboed. Um, I haven't had one of those music classes where you test out every instrument, and then at the end of the day, you just end up with the cowbell. <laughs> and that's kind of your, this will be the one I use, teacher. Thank you. I'm going to use the cowbell. Um, all right, so what were we talking about before the break? It's so long ago. Um, we're talking about just kind of all over uh, the place. Know, but we, we mentioned Bill Fian and... Yeah, we did that way, way to start the show. Yeah. Um, this news comes out, right? Wait, somebody has now found the Fact Check podcast. It, it's dated January 13th, so seven days after the insurrection. Bill play-by-plays the the Republican electors doing a cosplay, is what I like to call it. Just going going to Madison and pretending to cast electoral votes for Donald Trump. I wonder if he regrets doing that now. Well, when the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel wrote about it today, you do see the potential significance of this podcast. Because as Patrick Marley from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said, this podcast provides one of the most detailed descriptions yet of a meeting that is now being scrutinized by federal prosecutors and the U.S. House Committee investigating last year's riot at the U.S. Capitol. So, surprisingly, the most thorough account that we might have of this whole series of events that we've been looking at and that people have been trying to untangle. Like, why why were these people casting these electoral re- votes that were not legit? Where did they get this idea from? How did it all come together? And the Bill Fian podcast could be a very important piece of the puzzle. It's not the Bill Fian podcast. Oh, it's fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Yeah. Um, well, I talked to Bill a little bit about it today, but he this was this is from the podcast. It's a random clip here because I didn't label them properly, but I think the first one's the best one. As I mentioned, it's all super secret for security reasons, so we met in a secret location. We waited for almost an hour before they took us to the state capitol. Uh, I believe by law this is supposed to take place at noon, and so we got there just shortly before noon. And, you know, I was watching to see, and at the conclusion of the proceedings, it was 11 minutes after 12, and we'd appointed the officers of the Electoral College meeting and conducted the vote and uh, taken a few pictures, and everybody was ready to head on home. Took a couple selfies, maybe. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the, and, and, again, why – can you just explain 
why is this significant and why a year later or is it a year later or two years it's 2022 now but it was essentially a little over a year that's right rick so let's back up after the vote happens in november in a presidential election literally joe biden wins over donald trump joe biden wins wisconsin over donald trump but that is not the actual vote that gets cast. Like the votes that you and I, the votes that regular people cast in presidential elections are like the pretend votes. The actual votes are electoral votes. And there are 10 electoral votes. There are in Wisconsin. Pe- in Wisconsin. And there are 10 people who cast electoral votes, one each. Now, are all those people at this point because Biden won Democrats? Correct. Do you have to be a Democrat? Could it, could it be Giannis Antetokounmpo? You are selected by the different campaigns. So the Biden campaign has 10 people that will cast votes if he wins. The Trump people has 10 people who will cast votes if he wins. Why isn't it Aaron Rodgers, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday? You know, why isn't it famous people? Why would it be? Oh, that po- would make policy? it a lot more fun. Right. That would be awesome. I don't know why you wouldn't do that yeah. but anyway so, so democrats did did that on um there was a date i, I guess date, I date in se- december uh prescribed by law where the democrats have have with joe biden having won wisconsin the democratic electors the 10 of them cast their electoral votes for joe biden officially awarding the 10 electoral votes from wisconsin to joe biden and at the exact same time as bill just kind of described a little bit there 10 electors from Republicans because they'll like those Republicans know their electors. They just don't know if Trump or Biden is going to win. So they're just waiting for the 2020 presidential election. It already happens. They know they're not the electors anymore, but in, but along with the Democrats, they too go to Madison to cast their own votes. Yeah. There's this strange scenario as Patrick Marley from the Milwaukee journal Sentinel talked about where he said, Wisconsin Republicans who posed as presidential electors in 2020 met secretly for an hour before filling out official-looking paperwork at the state capitol and were accompanied by armed security, according to Bill Fian. So, According to the podcast. According to the podcast by Bill Fian. So they cast their electoral votes. They're not the real electoral votes, though, because the real electoral votes were cast by the Joe Biden Right, but they're doing this at the exact same time, right? Because you have to do this at some – it sounded like what Bill just said there. You do this at like noon on that day or right around noon. And also – so the big question is where do they get this paperwork? Yeah, so the reason this is coming out now is there was paperwork released from the National Archives, which sounds super boring, but it's actually significant to this investigation because the paperwork given to the U.S. government by the Wisconsin electors and by similar electors for Donald Trump in a number of other states. Seven, right? Seven other states. They signed the paperwork, the people who were claiming to cast the electoral votes for Donald Trump, and they claimed to be the legitimate and rightful electors even though they weren't, even though Donald Trump had not won those states, even though the people casting those electoral votes were not supposed to be casting those electoral votes because their candidate had not won, and they were voting in the Electoral College. They were casting electoral votes for a candidate who had not won their state. So they were giving these official seeming documents to the national government claiming to cast electoral votes that were in fact not legitimate. And that's where this all gets 
weird when it comes to the January 6th investigation and the broader investigation into the whole mess that was the 2020 presidential election, because you had these sort of cosplay or shadow electors who were voting for Donald Trump in these states, even though he had not won those we states. We call it voter fraud. I mean, a little you, bit. I mean, you electoral ha- fraud. Here, here's a headline. Here's a, a little, little headline, not related, but somewhat related. If you want to, it could be apples and oranges. On Monday, a judge in Memphis sentenced a woman to six years in prison for trying to register to vote. He said she had tricked the probation office into signing a form indicating she was eligible. You could watch some of that sentencing here on the, the on the website. But six years in prison for registering to vote for for a woman in Memphis. Like, okay, well, that's that's voting fraud, six years in prison. And, Rick, voter fraud is a serious crime. I mean, in a democracy, we can't have voter fraud. We can't have people voting more than once. We can't have people impersonating uh, other voters. We can't have people using fraudulent documents. That instance, though, sounds a little funny. Like, she probably wasn't sure. Because a lot of, uh, you know, what criminals can't or can vote or do they don't know they can't vote or stuff like that. Absolutely. And you got to take the intent into account, right? Like, if someone was committing voter fraud, were they intending to do so? Or, as was the case of the voter fraud, let's just call it, incidents in lacrosse, many didn't know that they were doing something wrong. Right. They were – they had an address at the FedEx or whatever, and they didn't know that that wasn't okay. And it was just an honest mistake. Right. And speaking of that, talk to Bill Fian today just about, you know, some of this news keeps keeps stirring every week. There's a little bit more to this electoral fraud, uh, voter fraud or whatever you want to call it, electoral cosplay. Um, this was Bill today just on kind of that news coming out. Start this again. Let's turn the mic on. There we go. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that stuff. You know, it's an honor to be a, a presidential elector. And I would never do anything that I thought was potentially even illegal. So, you know, we followed the advice of our attorneys, and we uh, followed historical precedent, and, you know, we made our vote. So there we go. He didn't know that it was going to potentially be illegal. He wouldn't do anything potentially illegal. No, I have have two questions about that. So first of all, the really important question is who was providing that legal advice? If and, and I take Bill at his word that, that he was just following legal advice. Well, where was that legal advice coming from, and what was that legal advice based on? Secondly, Bill references historical precedent, and I would like to know more about what that means because I'm not really aware of situations like this or situations in the past that would apply to this. So I, I'd be interested in learning more about that. Have we ever in history had – this situation where we have fake electors or false electors? There have been, of course, disputed presidential elections, but competing slates of electors competing, with, that's a yeah, with one set of people claiming we're the rightful electoral vote casters and another set of people claiming we're the rightful electoral vote casters. Because they're OK. We have 10 Democrats that vote for Biden through the Electoral College, they were selected to do so. One of those Democrats could could say, no, I'm going to vote. I'm going to cast my electoral vote for Donald Trump or sure. somebody else. That's happened in the past. Yep. That's called a faithless elector, where yeah. you vote for the candidate who you're not supposed to be voting for. Which always brings up the question is, do we really need these electors? Because they're, uh, they're, no. at, at one no, point in history. No, we do not. <laughs> right, the, the, at one point in history, maybe there was a there was some caution 
that I, I just don't understand. Like, we're not going to trust the voters. Uh, we're going to trust the voters to, to to vote, and then we'll decide whether or not we're going to accept their votes. And, Rick, I think one of the most important things Congress can do, and it looks like there is a bipartisan effort underway to do this, is to clean up this whole process. Get rid of the confusion when it comes to the electoral vote casting and the counting of the electoral votes. So we don't have the mess that we did in 2020. Clean up the process, get rid of the confusion, and make this a more functional process. Get rid of the frivolous lawsuits that can plague the system and get rid of these ridiculous situations where people are claiming to be the rightful electors and you have other people claiming to be the rightful electors. And it's just massively confusing. And the on, the, on the side, we also have an investigation into the election, one of three or four in Wisconsin. So, we, you know, on top of everything else. Yeah. What would we talk about if we wouldn't if we didn't have this? I mean, you want Congress to clean this up. I need a job, man. I'm <laughs> like I can only talk about Zuckerberg for so long. All right, we got to take one more break. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, brought to you by It's a Dog's World in Alaska. Uh, this hour, hey, I Millie's never been softer and smelled better. Just for the record, I took my dog to uh, It's a Dog World. Nice and uh, yeah. They did a great job. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text on UW Lacrosse political uh, political analyst, kind of, political science professor in here with me. Two more things I want to talk about quick. We got about nine minutes. Uh, Ron Johnson and the school board race, which I'm going to hit on twice next week, the Lacrosse School District school board race coming up. Because we're 11 days away from the primary that nobody, we're going to have 100, 100 people vote on. Yeah, there might be more candidates than voters in yeah. this race. Uh, but let's the primary. But let's get to Ron Johnson first. The U.S. senator up for election. The ten or eleven Democrats going against him. Uh, there's some Republicans going against him too, but not any of note really. Um, but he's some. So so last week a lot of news was made about, and this isn't. This is a little unrelated to what you want to talk about. Last week a lot of a lot of fuss was made about what he said how society should handle taking care of children, and it's not up to society. Which is it's just ludicrous to me. Like, really, society, we shouldn't, as a society, help each other take care of children or or, or pay for, ch- you know, it's kind of related to the child care tax credit, right? Like, we should be giving breaks to parents uh, to help raise their kids, uh, to help get child care so that they can go to work, you know? We could also, you know, give break to parents where they both don't have to go to work. We could do that, but we live in a society today where maybe both parents want to go to work. So we got to figure out a way to do that. Um, so this week he makes a run for the border and starts yelling about immigration because what better way to change the narrative uh, when you're getting you know hammered in your own state about childcare in your own in this city in the cross for stuff you said uh, than to just run to run to the Mexican border and start you know crying about immigration. I think Ron Johnson understands what motivates the Republican base, and he knows that immigration is tremendously motivating to the Republican base. Immigration is, in many ways, what fueled Donald Trump to the Republican nomination in 2016. His tough-on-immigration stances, the build-the-wall chant, and Ron Johnson has really, I think, learned a lot from Donald Trump about how to play to the Republican base. And you can see him do that in his emphasis on immigration. All right. So that uh, complete, kind of unrelated to that, but a little bit related to his running again. 
uh, with some news about uh, this is a this is one that I think and most of the society agrees with. Uh, some people that are really into politics don't agree with term limits because they say the voters can determine whether or not you have term limits. But Ron Johnson in, in his past is all about term limits, right? He has. Yeah. Ron Johnson has been a vocal supporter of term limits. He talked about how he would only run twice, how he would want to serve two terms as a U.S. senator. As a matter of fact, he has signed on to propose constitutional amendments to restrict U.S. senators to two terms. He signed on to that proposal in 2011, 2013, 2015, and 2017. But, Rick, something interesting happened in 2019. That proposal to have term limits on U.S. senators well, all of a sudden, Ron Johnson decided not to sign on to that proposal once we get to 2019. And you could interpret that as a hint that he was going to run for a third term. And indeed, we now know that he is running for a third term. This is very common in politics. Hypocrite. You, <clears throat> excuse me. I didn't say that. <laughs> you see this a lot in politics, that term limits are extraordinarily power uh, extraordinarily popular people love the idea of term limits they hate the idea of career politics great thing to run on it's a great thing to run on and ron johnson i think benefited from running on term limits like, he's not a career politician he's just going to go there be a citizen legislator as he likes to say and serve there for 12 years and no longer but what happens a lot, and Ron Johnson is not the first politician to do this, to break a pledge with term limits, because they experience benefits in elections from running on a term limit platform, but then decide that they actually would like to serve longer than they had initially said they would. And that is something that has played out many times. Because you want the short-term electoral benefit, but then you're in office for a while and you decide that you kind of want to stay in office. And so what Ron Johnson is doing is part of a broader pattern of politicians often breaking their promises to only serve a few terms and then leave. I think these guys get they're, – they're all so old that they get in – they're in the office for so long that they need the health care plan. I think that's what's going on here. They need the, the cushy – Congressman health care plan. I understand that there somebody I think Godlewski told me eh, actually senators just buy onto the Affordable Care Act health care plan, but they they don't buy it. They they're that's what they're given. They get some sub- subsidies essentially for it and they just get the gold package. The You can go see any doctor you want whenever you want. Uh, you're good to go. So that's Ron Johnson's getting up there in age. He needs the health care plan. He needs six more years of this. It's correct that senators do have to be on the Affordable Care Act plans. And I think people have a range of motivations for doing this. Everyone always has their own unique explanation when they break the term limit promise. Some people say that you know they have unfinished business. Some people say that they still have policy goals to achieve. Ron Johnson has said that he didn't know how bad things would be under Joe Biden and a Democratic majority in the Senate. Could he use that if if Donald Trump won? I mean, what would what would the the tagline be then? Because he can go, oh, the country's in terrible shape with Joe Biden. I got to stay in office. Or you know, maybe he would say that things are too awesome to leave if Donald Trump got reelected. <laughs> this thing is humming so good. Why wouldn't you reelect me? Look at how great of a job we're doing. Um, all right, so we we only have like a minute here, so I'm not really gonna. We I'm going to hit this twice next week with some people, some some different people in regards to the school board race. But we, we've we've gone. It's it's 
the partisan politics has, has dived right right to the bottom of the well here into school board races. We now have a partisan race for politics, right? It's or like, for school board. It's like everything in life now is a matter of partisan politics. Like if you wear a mask or not, where you go out to eat or not, what kind of car you drive. And it is extremely disturbing to me that so many of these school board elections that should not be partisan are becoming partisan in nature. These should not be partisan elections. The partisan politics do not really work with school board elections because so many of the issues they face are not partisan in nature. So to make a school board election partisan is like trying to put a, you know, a round peg into a square hole. It just doesn't work. And, you know, if you want to know who to vote for in your county, if you're just going to be a partisan hack, you could just go to some of the uh, politicians' Facebook pages and see who they're promoting, because now we're promoting, uh, you know, candidates on Facebook pages, which I think is, is – I don't know. I don't know how I feel about about that. I feel like that's not, not a great thing. All right. Anyway, that's all the time we got. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend.